0: To us.
1: Fires, touchdown Miami! Waddle, snuck
0: into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play to get it.
2: What is up, Dolphins? fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going everybody? I am your host Travis Wingfield and on today's show the draft preview series rolls right along. I believe we're a little bit over halfway done as we welcome in Keith Sanchez from the Draft Network to preview this year's Edge class and also talk about Emmanuel Ogba, Andrew Van Ginkel, Jalen Phillips and the rest of that Dolphins Edge position. Can they bolster some depth and add some bodies at the spot this upcoming draft? If they can, we'll tell you which players could possibly fit that script with Keith Sanchez and a special two-part edition of the Drive Time Podcast previewing this year's draft. We're also going to welcome in fellow The Draft Network employee, Carmen Vitali to talk about the defensive tackle. So all across the D-line on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast, from somewhere in South Florida, this is the Drive Time Podcast.
1: That's
0: another Miami Dolphins
2: You guys know the drill by now. Let's not waste any more time and get to my guest today, Draft Network's own Keith Sanchez. And joining me now is a senior NFL draft analyst for the Draft Network. He was part of the 2019 LSU Tigers National Championship team and spent some time in the personnel department there in Baton Rouge as well. Keith Sanchez. Keith, thank you so much for being here, my friend.
0: Oh, man, thank you. How's everything going?
2: It's going good. You know, I was going to ask you, so down here in South Florida, I... I'm new to the area a couple years in, but when the seasons start to kind of change, and it's funny saying seasons in South Florida, but when it gets from cold to kind of hot and back and forth, I, my allergies kick up really bad. I didn't expect that. I was curious. Is it the same way in Louisiana?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same exact way, but I'll probably say you you might enjoy it a whole lot better in Miami. Just you know, you got the palm trees, you got South Beach, so it's it's definitely worth the uh, the allergy intake, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. I, I'm
2: complaining about 80 degree weather in April, which back home where I'm from in Washington State, it's snowing today. So you know, we, we we can't <laughs> complain at all there. But uh, this this is a draft preview podcast. But we've also been looking at the roster first with the Dolphins here since, you know, a lot of the roster building has been done so far. The draft kind of was used to upgrade with some veterans. And I want to start with a guy on our roster here that got a nice extension this offseason after two really good years so far with the Miami Dolphins. Two career years, really. What have you seen when you watch the tape of Emmanuel Ogba, Keith?
0: Yeah, man, I, I think he's exactly how you draw him up, right? As far as being an edge rusher, he, he, he has really good length. Um, He he has strength at the point of attack to be able to set set the edge. I think he's a versatile defender and 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 in his defense, right. And you know more than me. They like to move the friend defenders along. The, um, the front, and I think he has that capability, but just his ability to put back-to-back season of, I believe it was nine to ten sacks, um each year has, has really shown his sack production, and we know in the NFL that that's huge, right? Just the ability to get to the quarterback, to be able to affect the quarterback, and, you know, in y'all division, obviously you have Mac Jones, who's who's an up-and-coming quarterback, but not exactly sure who he's going to be, and then you also have Josh Allen. You have to be able to get to that guy, and you need somebody that's athletic enough to run him down when he decides to escape the pocket and, uh you know, really make those plays that, you know, just just really get to the defense.
2: Especially those instances where you have to go just four-man rush and you can't send the extra rusher. Good to have a guy like Emmanuel Ogba who can deconstruct and beat one-on-ones. Now, on the other side, you know, and he might play the same side at times. They might kick Ogba inside and they kind of brush on the same side of the field. And this guy can kick inside too. But from the veteran to the rookie last year, Jalen Phillips, you want to talk about a guy that can beat one-on-one blocks. How did his rookie season stack up to the scouting report you had on him pre-draft last year?
0: Man, it was it was really cool um, seeing Jalen Phillips' season from beginning to end because his scouting report kind of, for me, told the picture of the player. And then every year when I go through this process, right, we, we write the story of the player. Like I hate to say what a player can't do, you know, and just say that he can't do it and put limitations on him. But you had question marks about Jalen Phillips, and a lot of it was developmental things, right? And so it was cool seeing him enter into the NFL, and you knew this guy had the athletic ability to do it. And then by the back end of the season, I believe he had six, seven sacks in the last, in the back half of the season. And it was cool because that's what I had in my draft report, right? That this guy has high upside, and if he gets really good coaching, um, he'll be able to really develop and, and turn into a premier edge rusher. So not only was I excited about the back end of last last year, but I'm really excited about him going into this season because he has opportunity to be a double digit sack guy if he's able to um, take what he has from this past year and put it towards this year. And then he also he has you know possibly Ogbon on the other side, so they won't be able to command need to, you know he won't be able to command double teams because people be worried about Agba too. So it like. You you're really excited about the edge rusher position for the Miami Dolphins uh, moving forward.
2: Absolutely, man. I mean, it kind of feels like that's how the whole roster is shaping up at this point. With you know Tyreek and Jalen, you got I Rash- uh, almost said Rashad, Xavier, and Byron on the back end. Javon Holland, Brandon Jones, you got. You got a bunch of two, uh, you know, pairs of guys that can kind of help offset the, the way offenses and defense approach you in that way. And yeah, you know, you mentioned the Phillips sacks. He had six and three games, or six and over a two game span last year. So he was definitely heating up down the back half. <laughs> and another guy that really got hot the last half of both the last couple of seasons. And I don't think his stats matched up with his, with what he actually provided the Dolphins on the field. And a guy named Andrew Van Ginkle. Now, I remember there was an LSU Wisconsin game. I think it was played at Lambeau Field. I think he was in that game. Did you play that game as
0: well, Keith? Yeah, 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 yep. Um, and, and he showed to be a, a pretty good player. And what I see on the film for, for Winkle was that he's a versatile player, right? And in this defense we've seen in the past, um, you know, obviously he has some, some versatility with the linebackers that the linebackers don't necessarily have to be the most athletic guys. But like Winkle, he's a very instinctual guy, right? And they're able to move him around and put him in different positions. And I I think that he's just a guy that makes plays. Like He he never makes the splashy plays, but they seem to always be just on time, and it's the correct play.
2: And a guy that went from, you know, fifth-round rookie to a 600, 700-snap guy, plays on special teams, really been a nice boon for us here. Really good depth on this Dolphins edge position. Really good depth in the edge position in the draft this year. But I want to turn to that draft here just a second, Keith. But first, let's go ahead and take our first break. Travis Wingfield Drive Time Podcast. My guest today, Keith Sanchez, brought to you by Auto Nation. All right, back here on this edge position preview for the 2022 NFL Draft, I've got Keith Sanchez from the Draft Network and Keith, I've been asking this question to all my guests here on the draft preview series, and I'm loving the variety of answers I get. And I'm really curious to hear yours because you played, you know, at such a high level for such a long time. And, you know, I've asked your coworkers, Joe Marino, I've asked Kyle Krabs, I've asked Damian Parson, and they were all pretty different in their approaches. What does it look like for you when you sit down to watch film? Like, how do you, how do you digest the film? Are you digesting food? Like you eating something, listening to music? What does your film (laughs) watching process look like, Keith?
0: Man, so so first off, as as far as just e- evaluation purposes, um, I always start with athletic ability because we have to understand the NFL is it's the level where you have the highest caliber athletes, right? Like like baseline wise, it's it's the best caliber athletes. Um, the game is as fast as is it going as it is going to be. I'm um, so always start if, if the guy's a good athlete, I always try to start with that, and then my, my, my second qualifier would be does this guy make plays that's specific to that position. And just to kind of further explain that every year when we go through the draft process, there's always guys that, that test athletically well, right? They, they, are off the charts, but the film doesn't match. And then we always see these guys shoot up the draft charts. And then somebody takes this guy early in the second round, but truly his film play is a fourth round grade. Right. So I try to make sure that this guy, like if it's a fast wide receiver, wide receiver may run a four two, but if he can't, you know, necessarily catch the football, he's not a really, you know, defined r- route uh, runner, then it becomes an issue for me. And, and we see this year after year where these guys run these fast 40s that they may, you know, jump a 44-inch vertical. But if that athletic ability doesn't translate to the film, then, you know, I always rely on the film. So that, that's my two-step process. So First, they have to qualify as being a good athlete. And then second, I need you to make plays that's specific to that position. And we see that every year with linebackers. We just finished talking about Winkle, right? Winkle may not have tested well throughout the draft process. I'm not 100% sure, but he makes plays that's specific to his position. And I think that's where you kind of get in that gray area of possibly having draft busts When you draft these guys that are really good athletes, but they're not good football players. One of my sayings is that every good athlete is not a great football player. So I always try to use those two qualifiers when I'm approaching a player.
2: That really sounds like a discussion that goes on. I'd imagine in most most NFL draft rooms, I'm certain it happens in the TDN war room when you guys get together for your content. I can just see you and Kyle going back and forth on that type of stuff. And it's it kind of speaks, I think, a lot to the to the to the miss rate that we see in the NFL draft every single year. It's a tough, tough business to figure out. And I think a lot of that has to do with what you just talked about, with how you balance what matters versus what matters less, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So- that's really fascinating stuff, Keith. I, again, I get different answers on that question every time, and I'm loving it. So appreciate you, you contributing to that as well. But I want to now ask you a question about kind of some more draft philosophy here, because it sounds like it's right up your alley. But uh, you know, this this 2022 class compared to the 2023 class, and I asked Joe Marino, and he talked about the quarterback position being the one where he thinks teams look ahead a couple years. But I was curious to get your take about you know teams that have taken their draft capital this year in a lot of ways and kind of moved it to next year? We saw the Dolphins do it. We've seen the Philadelphia Eagles do it, that big trip with the New Orleans Saints. What do you make of teams like the Dolphins and Eagles kind of pushing their resources into next year's draft?
0: So I I think that's exactly what it is. So for this, I will speak about this draft class first. This is a very good draft class. Um, it, It has good depth. The issue is that it's just not at... The, the, the really marketable position, right, when you talk about quarterbacks, everybody wants the, the draft class to be similar to last year's draft class where there were, what, I think four or five quarterbacks taken in the top 13 picks. Right. So it's just not as marketed. But there, there's really good depth, right? So fans, when you think of this draft class, you need to think of, like, the pillars of your offensive line or your defensive line because you can find really good – um, offensive linemen, you can find really good edge rushers. There, it's a really deep linebacker class. There, there are some pretty good safeties, and it's a really deep cornerback class. So it, it may not be just the you know the quintessential quote unquote you know sexy positions like the quarterbacks or the running backs and things of that nature, but it is a really good draft class. And then we talk about the 2023 draft class and teams like the Eagles um, trading trading you know basically moving back to next year. I think that's exactly what it is. I think they're trying to garner more draft picks. And, like, you know what? Um, You know, if we're going to swing for a quarterback, let's do it in next year's draft class because obviously they have Bryce Young, they have CJ Stroud. Um, There's no telling if DJ Ugalili would turn it around. And then uh, the quarterback from Kentucky, Will Levis, he's a possible guy, too. So I think there's just more quarterback depth in in next year's draft class. And that's why you're probably seeing some of those teams who may not feel 100% about their quarterback. Um, situation, moving those pieces to next year's draft class, but I, I, I do like this draft class. Like I said, it may not be 100% you know, marketable, but I promise you, some of these players that come out of here, these are going to be perennial pro bowlers, um, you know, all pro type of football players.
2: Yeah. It's perfectly said, man, the quarterback position is always what gets the marquee. And if you don't have the top of the line guys, and again, like you could see five guys go in the first round, it just might be picks 10 through 32 at the quarterback spot this year. So fascinating stuff. And you talk about, you know, I think one position that does get people pretty excited is the edge group. And that's what we have you talking about here on this edition of the drive time podcast, my guest, Keith Sanchez from the draft network. This edge class, Keith, to me, it's good up top. It's good in the depth. It checks all the boxes. So just off the top right here, how many edge defenders do you think, and, you know, defensive ends, outside linebackers, I don't know how we classify those these days. Guys play so many positions, it's hard to do. But how many How many do you think of that distinction will go off the board before the Dolphins make their first pick at 102? You can ballpark this, of course, but 10, 15, 20 edge defenders before the first 100 picks?
0: Yeah, i was looking at it and i was i was trying to find a, a good spot for you guys you know just as far as just with the draft pick at 102 man it's 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 probably close to 15. um obviously because it's a yeah it's a premier position and also this is a a really deep position for this uh for this draft class man they got some really good football players so i'm looking at probably close to 15 guys so obviously if you're the dolphins and you're looking for edge rushers um, you know, you just have to have that big bank of guys and, you know, they, they just have to do their research because it's going to be kind of tough just sitting at one oh two um and seeing how edge rushes always get moved up the draft boards.
2: I'm always curious to see or I should say I am curious to see where the Dolphins go. It just might be one of those best player available spots right there when you're picking that late. But, you know, with that number of players off the board, 15 of them, is there a guy that you would really like number 16 at that? kind of line of demarcation right outside the top 100 is there one guy in that spot that you think might be there you like a lot
0: yeah there there is actually this this guy he's flown under the radar for majority of the draft process um and that's defensive end edge rusher um from texas a&m michael clements uh this is a guy that he he is built very similar to emmanuel agba honestly Um, i mean 6'4 6'5 260 pounds um, they use him. He's very versatile in the AM defense. So that should translate well to the Miami Dolphins front. Uh this is a guy that can be a hand in the ground edge rusher. He can stand up and, and, and rush the quarterback as an outside linebacker. Um but he showed really good promise last year. I believe he had eight to nine sacks. Three of them came in his last game against LSU. And you're talking about a guy that showed the ability to convert convert speed, the power really worked that long arm, set the edge against the run. Um really showed to be a really good athlete. So I believe that he's a guy that's kind of sliding under the radar and he may be able to fall right into that sweet spot for the Miami Dolphins.
2: I'm glad you pointed out the analog there with Emmanuel Ogba, because that does seem to be kind of a theme there for this Dolphins edge position. And, you know, whether it's whether it's the guy that that starts as the D end and kicks out wide, you know, goes from that five to the nine technique or the guy that plays, you know, from the five inside to the zero They've got so many different versatile pieces up there. So just thinking about guys that, you know, start off the edge and can kick either inside or outside, you know, Emmanuel Ogba, Jalen Phillips are both big, long guys, strong, can set the edge, be anchors in the running game and rush the passer. I guess what I'm asking you is a couple more names because, you know, I, I love the name from AM Clemens, but do you have a couple more guys in that kind of that feature that could be day, it could be day two, day three, whatever the case may be, but some guys that fit that mold later on in this draft class that might be on Miami's radar?
0: Yeah, I, w- I would also go with um, the defensive end from Stanford, Thomas Booker. Um, I think this is a really good football player. He's he's a little bit heavier. He's, he's 6'4", 280 pounds, but he shows to be a really good athlete, too, and that versatility. I know the Dolphins, like, you know, they like to get penetration at times, and this is a guy that can get penetration, but he also showed textbook ability to be able to, you know, lock, peak, and shed against the run. So I think he's a versatile defender. You can kick him outside, you know, from time to time. If you're playing heavy against the run, he can really sit on that tackle and set the edge. So this is another guy that if I was the Miami Dolphins, I would definitely have on my radar because he's also a guy that's kind of been flown under the radar a little bit. And obviously, like you say, if y'all picking that pick 102, I believe. Um, You know, this is kind of the spot where I believe some of those guys will go because they just haven't, you know, jumped out or or jumped off the screen throughout the draft process.
2: Yeah, definitely. I'm curious to see where they go. It could be a position group they feel good about. I mean, Brennan Scarlett also is back, so they've got depth there and that's kind of the entire roster. But I want to take our last break here and come back on the other side and get even deeper into day three and pick one guy that you think can be the next Either Max Crosby, Andrew Van Ginkle, we'll see about that. That's coming up here next on the Drive Time Podcast with Keith Sanchez, Travis Wingfield. the Drive Time Podcast, brought to you by AutoNation. All right, Keith, you gave me a couple names there at pick 102, but I want to go even deeper and go back into that. You know, Max Crosby led the NFL last year in quarterback pressures off the edge. From Pro Football Focus, we saw Andrew Van Ginkle, a fifth-round draft pick here. Talked about him a little bit as a guy that came in and made a big production or made a big impact right away. I should say, just a couple guys that you think, you know, fifth round, sixth round in that range that you think have a good shot and maybe getting into a program, starting off on special teams early on, but eventually developing and carving out roles in the National Football League. Who are a couple guys late in day three there?
0: Okay, hey, we, we're we're getting deep into the weeds. We are. But I'm going to stay with my theme, right? I'm going to stay with them. I'm going to go with another Texas A&M air rush, and that's going to be Tyree Robinson. Um, This guy's a really good technician with his hands. Um, He showed the ability to sack the quarterback. This is a guy that just doesn't, and we talked about this earlier, right? He doesn't have the athletic traits because I believe he's probably 6'2", 6'3", 250 pounds maybe. Um, So he's not a very big guy, but thinking about it with, yeah, Tyree Robinson just showed the ability to get to the quarterback. He just didn't test really well, but he – he seemed to be really instinctual. And like I said, I always, I rely on the film and on film, he showed that he can be a productive uh, edge rusher.
2: Sounds like Texas A&M tape is the, a place for Dolphins fans to start with their tape. <laughs> you, man, that's, <laughs> that's where all the edge rushers are coming from right now. So I, I appreciate you getting into the weeds, Keith. And, you know, the last couple of years, these podcasts or these draft uh, preview podcasts have been a lot of fun for the up top part of the draft for, for our guests and for the dolphins, because we had 11 picks in the top 100 the last two years, zero this year, five more next year. So we'll circle back next year and get uh, some more top of the draft uh, insight from you. But let's go ahead and play a fun game here to close things up. If, if there was one guy and you talk about the 15 guys that could go off the board before pick 100, just at the edge position alone. And let's say this guy's available in that 50, 60, 75 range. And you're sitting there, pick one Oh one Oh two for Miami. And this guy slides down a little bit, and you think, this is my guy. I have to go up and get him. Who is that guy for you, Keith?
0: Oh, wow. Okay. I, I like this game. I like <laughs> this game. I like this game. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Penn State edge rusher Arnold Ebuchetti. He's um, the, yeah, Yeah, re- really good, man. This guy is 240 pounds, but he, he has a elite first step, right? Like he And he showed positional versatility at Penn State also. Um, He's kind of light, but, you know, I talked to the guys at Draft Network, and we all came up to the conclusion, too, but he, he's a battler, right? Like, he really gets after it in a run game, so he's not a guy that really shies away from holding a point of attack, but he offers you elite edge rushing potential, and I think this is another guy that can develop into being a, a double-digit sack guy.
2: That's great stuff right there. So that's that's your your second, mid-second round all the way through. I guess we went like six, seven rounds deep here with Keith Sanchez <laughs> of the Draft Network. Keith, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this. It's kind of a bonus question. This is away from the draft and away from the edge position, but you were on that 2019 LSU Tigers team. Did you play in that crazy, crazy game against the Alabama Crimson Tide?
0: Yeah, I was there. That, that Alabama game, we went to Alabama and, and we upset them. Yes, I, I was there. Um that's probably going to go down as, as one of the, you know, best college football games in history. But, man, it was, it was really exciting.
2: Okay, so I'm, what I'm curious about is, you know, we have our quarterback and one of our top receivers was on that team in Tua tunga and Jalen Waddle. I was just curious uh, if you wouldn't mind telling us about how you guys approach those two guys and just what you, kind of like how you coach the defense in a way to say like, hey, we have to watch out for this guy and this guy because of X, X Y, and Z. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yes, yeah, so starting starting with, with with Tua, I mean, we we knew that Tua was special, right? Um, and and I, I think we had the the perfect game plan. We we had to just try to get on top of him early. I um, mean, you know, he had a you know an unfortunate play, and I think it was a couple turnovers in the first half. But in that second half, you really seen who Tua could be, and that was like, okay, this was the Tua that we were you know expecting. Um, so really, what we just tried to do, man, was, was try to pressure him as much as possible, but we also knew that would burn us too because, I mean, they had a bevy of weapons, right? You're talking about Devontae Smith, like you said, uh, Jalen Waddle. They had Najee Harris coming out the backfield. So, man, it it was really one of those situations where you you drop a game plan and you say, you know what, let's go into it and and let's figure it out. But the biggest thing, you just have to be willing to adjust. So, man, I thought that that was a really good, talented offense and we were just a, a talented defense and it just became a shootout. Um, on both sides of the football. So, man, I, I have a lot of respect for Tua Tagovailoa as a quarterback.
2: That was my favorite college game I ever watched. It was so much fun. <laughs> there was so much NFL talent on the field that day. And, you know, I, I you, you talk about the second half Tua had. There was a play where he had a dummy call, and it, it, got, it got Derek Stingley sleeping on the outside, and they got a deep ball on him. That was one of the yep. times where I was like, wow, Tua, is, this, this is impressive stuff for the, for the mental side of it. But you guys fought back and got that win. So congrats on that and the national championship again. So Tua had a big game there, unfortunately, in the loss there for the Crimson Tide. But also Jalen Waddle, I think, had a big play on special teams. But what did you guys see from Waddle, and how did you kind of prepare for him going into that week?
0: Yeah, man, Jalen waddle he was who we thought he was, right? Just an explosive, dynamic playmaker. Um, and if you give this guy any crease, he's going to take it, and then he's going to make you pay for it. So, yeah, I believe there was a, a punt return um, and, and that kind of started the momentum for them coming back because you believe we were on top of them heavy, and then this guy returned that punt. And I will tell you this, just being in person on the sideline watching it, that guy just moves at a different <laughs> speed, and 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 you know it. Like when he when he breaks that first wave of the defenders, like I, he knows it too, right? Like in, in 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 real time, and he he just turns on the Jets, and and that's a wrap. So man, I, when the Dolphins got him last year, I'm like, man, they got a special dynamic playmaker, and he he defies. The, the height limit, right? Cause this is a guy that plays big and, and he knows how to use his height in various different situations. So this is a true playmaker that I, I had much respect for.
2: Keith, we're not on video, but I have the biggest smile on my face right now because I, he's my favorite <laughs> player. I just, you talk about the way he moves. It's, it's so different than what I'm used to seeing. And now I get a chance this year at training camp to watch him and Tyreek Hill do it together. Oh, man, I'm so pumped up. And I'm just, I love that you mentioned that because I say it to anybody that will hear me say it. This guy moves differently than anybody else I've ever seen. So good stuff, Keith. I appreciate it, man. At the talent code on Twitter is his name. Senior NFL draft analyst for the draft network. Keith, I appreciate your time so much today, man. Love what you guys are doing at the draft network. Keep it up. We'll talk to you soon, man.
0: All right. Thanks, man.
2: And there he goes. How about a little bit of bonus there talking about that legendary Alabama LSU game? And I'll have to get Keith back on and talk more about some of his experiences against some of the players here on this Dolphins roster back in those college days and kind of revisit how they've gotten to this point of their National Football League career. So more good stuff there from the Draft Network. Appreciate his time. And let's go ahead and keep this thing rolling along the defensive line with another Draft Network draft expert, Carmen Vitale. And joining me now is senior NFL reporter and managing editor for the Draft Network. Her second appearance here on the Drive Time podcast, Carmen Vitali. Carmen, are you feeling better?
1: <laughs> yes, uh, mostly, and hopefully I look—I I can look the part. Uh, even if I'm not quite feeling the part, but no, I'm good. I Whatever this is that's going around is not fun. It's, <laughs> it's it like seems nationwide. to be like sweeping the
2: country. I, yeah, exactly. Because a couple of weeks ago, and if you go back to a couple of my podcasts, I, you can tell that I was really, really Jordan game sixing it, giving myself some credit there. But I was definitely fighting through it, trying to get get the damn podcast out, but I appreciate you healing up and getting back here. So uh, you were questionable, but now you're, you're, you're ready to go for game time. So I wanted to go. start here because your Twitter bio, Carmen, really interests me for two reasons. Number one, NFL reporter and managing editor at TDN. And then two, I love that you reference the X's and O's in your bio. Can you tell me why they haunt you? And then also I was curious about your role as an NFL reporter for a draft site that just keeps growing and getting bigger every single year.
1: Well, so the first part of my bio, the X's and O's, they haunt me. It's actually a tribute to an El King song. And she's talking about her X's and O's and all of that kind of stuff. But me. I just thought no it was clue. funny because it's one of my favorite songs. She's one of my favorite artists. Um and so I just brought it into uh, we love a wordplay. We love a wordplay as writers, we love wordplay. <laughs> um so that's that's the answer on that one. Uh, I'm not sure how many people end up getting it, but for those that do, I've gotten called out on Twitter a couple of times, like <laughs> love the L <Elk laughs> King reference. Love it.
0: Totally. Um, my head.
1: But no, it is, you're right. There's a there's a different kind of dichotomy about being an NFL reporter for a site that's called the Draft Network. Um, but that is a indicative of where this company is going. And it's why I was so excited to join and kind of get in at this stage. Um, there's just so many good things coming up at the draft network, but we are expanding our NFL coverage in general. So, I mean, I th- it's all complimentary, right? You know, you're, you're talking about the draft because you want to know how these guys are going to do in the league. Well, if you, if you want to know how they're going to do in the league, you want to keep up with them in the league and you want to keep up with league trends and, and news and all that kind of stuff. So I have a pretty much exclusively NFL background uh, working with the Buccaneers for six years I was, I did work in uh, when I was an undergrad at Arizona State. I worked for the football team there. So that was my college experience. But I've always been very NFL oriented. And so it's really cool to be able to now kind of push TDN's content into more NFL coverage on top of draft coverage. We're just, we're giving you all the things.
2: Yeah, all the things. We love all the things. And, you know, I, I'm good friends with Kyle. So he kind of, he clues me on some things without giving out too much information. But I'm excited for you guys because it looks like a lot of fun. And some of the video content we captured at the Combine kind of watching you guys do your thing there was really cool to see too. So I'm excited to see um, that all come out here eventually in the future. But you also mentioned your time with the Buccaneers and you got yeah. yourself a championship ring, Carmen, working there. Good for you. <laughs> That's got to be awesome okay. to, and, and cool to show off to your friends and family. But that was a team that, you know, Tom Brady obviously had a big part of that without question. Rob Gronkowski, the offense, but defensively, you know, they drafted mm-hmm. so well in the secondary, they loaded up up front. And that's where I want to talk today with you about the defensive tackles. And just looking mm-hmm. back at that team, Vita Vea and Sue, <laughs> Steve McClendon, uh, Nunez Rochez, as well. How important mm-hmm. do you think that is for a championship team to have four guys on your defensive interior that can kind of take over a game and really just solidify that part of the football field?
1: Well, that's what was so important. And actually, we saw it kind of firsthand um, because of the fact that Vita was out for 15 games that season. He returned in the NFC Championship, played 46% of the team's defensive snaps in that game, and then was taken off the injury report entirely for the Super Bowl. So, the thing about that defense and the thing about Todd Bowles' defenses in general, they start up front. Everything starts up front, everything starts with stopping the run. And that year, the Bucs were the best, had the best run defense in the country pretty much because of those four guys that you're talking about. And also there was a constant rotation because, you know, Todd runs a base three, four, and there, you, you even left out Will Golston, who is just, which, I mean, everyone does. It's not even you. It's like <laughs> literally everyone does. And I made it a mission of mine while I was there to make sure that like Will was getting his due, because not only was he kind of known for being this run stuffer, he led the team in quarterback hits that year, even on top of the Sue. Uh, and on top of the guys on the outside, on top of the linebackers, everybody. So everything ran through that defensive front. And the fact that they were able to have this rotation, kept all these guys fresh, and that's what really helped them. And I think that that's just such a good mentality to have. Um, and especially when you have a guy like Vita, who's like one of those certified nose tackles that just eats up so much space and so many blockers. Uh, you have no choice but to double him, but then it's like you're left with and Su, you're left with Will Golson. you're left with Nunez Rojas, Steve McClendon. Like, you can't win uh, as an offensive line against these guys, and and that was what that defense was so good at, is just forcing you into these situations that were no win for you.
2: <laughs> exactly, and they, they've been doing it for a couple of years now. I remember last year the Dolphins went into that game, and we, we talked about it on the preview podcast about how like – I mean, you need to run the football to keep keep the defense honest, but you're probably not going to have success doing it. And that was certainly the case in that game and all year long for that Buccaneers defense. And the reason I bring it up here on Dolphins podcast is because I think that, you know, not necessarily player for player comparison, but I think it is translatable here to what the Dolphins have on their defensive interior. And I would probably say the way you talk about William Golson, the way I talk about Zach Sealer, does not get nearly enough credit, but he's a great football player. But between him, Christian Wilkins, Raquan Davis, uh, Adam Butler, they're just, they're loaded. They're deep. They brought back John Jenkins and Benito Jones up there. And I think for this defense, it really helps them win the early downs to then create those opportunities to rush the quarterback on those third and longs. And that's how the Dolphins defense has been so good for the last couple of years. But with that in mind, You're always looking to improve your football team. And I wanted to ask you about some of the draft draftable players here at this defensive tackle position. And just looking at TDN's big board, Travis Jones is 51. Then we go all the way to 99 until your next interior defensive lineman. But then there are six defensive tackles in those next 60 spots. And I was curious, is there a guy in that position that you're partial to that we should know about? Who do you like in that range of the draft for the IDL?
1: Yeah, I, in that range, I really like John Ridgway. He's a guy out of Arkansas. Um, he was a transfer from Illinois State, and I'm actually from Chicago. My brother went to Illinois State, so that kind of is why I noticed him, I think. Um, but, you know, he is, like, he's that true kind of nose guy, like we were just we were just talking about. Um, and I think that that's so important, because the, just to relate it back to what I was talking about with the Bucks and Vita Vea, like, Vita was missing for a good chunk of that season. And the difference that the Bucks like gave up as far as one, like r- rushing yards per play, all that other stuff. It was incredible. The impact that just one man could make one man in that position in particular. So I think that that's really important to solidify. So I really like, uh, I really like him. Um, I really do like a Fidari. I mean, Fidari Mathis is a guy from Alabama and uh, like, I know he's, he's kind of ranked far, farther down, but I do also think that you have to take into account the sample size of, you know, his body of work and then what like what he's going against on a consistent basis. And the fact that he was able to hold up, I, I don't think that that's not, you know, that's not for nothing. Um, and, and I think that we're, you know, we're used to just kind of these like flashy impact Alabama players, but he's a good player and he played on a good team. And he played against good teams, so uh, you know he's not really getting a lot of buzz. But and I get it; uh, he's got some things to work on and some concerns. But yeah, I, I think those two guys uh, down kind of in that in that range, uh, I would I wouldn't mind on my football team.
2: <laughs> I think if you put Federa Mathis next to Raekwon Davis, that would be the the equivalent of having like a pterodactyls wingspan on your, on your defensive line. Cause both of those guys are two of <laughs> the longest players that I've ever seen come out of the college program. And of course they both come out no. of Alabama. So a good company there. And like you mentioned, no. Alabama is always a good place to go to, to get your pros from there. They're, they're prepared as well as anybody, but so we have that pick one Oh two and then pick 125. Then a bit of a break till our next pick all the way until the seventh round. So I wanted to kind of get into the weeds here as we've been doing these draft preview podcasts and talk about some day three guys. And, sure. you know, th- this is a position that I think maybe gears more towards a potential day three or UDFA edition if you go mm-hmm. in that direction. So who do you have in that day three gems list on the interior defensive line if you got them?
1: Uh, I'm not sure if Thomas Booker will slide from, from Stanford. I don't know if he's going to end up being the day two or day three guy. He probably will be top of the day three guy. Um, but he was, he ran a, what, a four nine five, uh 40 at the combine guys, just extremely athletic. And you know, that he's smart. If he went to Stanford. Uh, but I think that that's really important though. And I don't think that these guys up front get enough credit for how just, you know, the football IQ that they need to have. Um, and especially with, you know, figuring out how to play um, on these offensive lines and, and, when they're doing so many more different things now and, and diagnosing what's about to happen. Um, I think that that's kind of fallen, not only on the linebackers at the second level, but now you've got these guys up front that, that are on that having to be on the same page. So I like him, um, Christopher Hinton out of Michigan, as much as that pains me. Um, I'm not a huge Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> but that being said, uh, Michigan defenses, usually, you know, they're, they're pretty solid. You got, I like a defensive lineman out of the Midwest. I think any lineman out of the Midwest between offensive line and defensive line, I'm kind of partial to as well. Um, <laughs> probably a wrestler. So I like, yeah. 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 So <laughs> I, I will, I will overcome my Michigan um, bias. Cause I do think he's a, he's a great player
2: too. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, 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 there's always a guy from the Midwest who's a defensive tackle, who was like a five, a state champion who just comes in and, and whips ass right away in the NFL. It right. happens every single year. So I'll probably see it again mm-hmm. this year, but uh, you give us the, the day three gems there. And conversely, you know, I mentioned Travis Jones and you get into, you know, whether or not you want to call like a Perry on Winfrey, a defensive tackle, defensive end, you know, this Dolphins defense is so multiple that guys play kind of both those spots. One of the questions I've asked everybody on this, on these podcasts, because the Dolphins don't pick in the top 100, if there was a player in this position group that you were going to pound the table for, let's say he falls into the 50, 60, 75 range and you're like, we have to go up and get this defensive tackle. Is there a mm-hmm. guy on the board that you would pound the table for to go up and use future draft capital to trade up for and go get?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm still trying to figure out, you said him. You said his name, Perrion Winfrey, if he, if he ends up falling. I'm, we're, I'm still just not sure who he is, right? We saw one body of work of him at Oklahoma and you watch his tape and like, it's a little bit, inconsistent there are some concerns there and then he comes to the senior bowl against top talent and then just shreds it like he was he was the game mvp he was great all week in practice um you know i was there in mobile and i felt like every other time i was looking up i was like oh the you kid Uh, you know and i'm like you you noticed him right away and he just so i'm you have to figure out which guy he is Um, I'm usually more inclined to believe the tape because of the fact that that's, you know, more like you've got a bigger sample size there, but I mean, there's something to be said about just his, like his performance and just how big and wonderful it was, um, at the, at the senior bowl. So I, I think that he's got a lot of good tools. He's very athletic, um we got to talk to him at the combine at the podium sessions and despite the fact that he actually ended up putting me in my place about some chicago greats uh he's from the west side of chicago and he was wearing 23 on his combine that was his combine number and i was like hey is that extra special to you and he goes yeah lebron's my favorite player and i'm like <laughs> it's not where i was going bud. Yeah. It's not where I different was going.
2: generation carmen different generation
1: i know i'm like oh god i'm an old <laughs> but despite that, um, he was great. And, he, you know, he he gets it from a pro perspective. Yeah. And I've, ta- I've actually talked to some of his coaches at Oklahoma. And they said, you know, he's a great kid. He works hard. He studies, you know he can translate at the next level um, if, if he, he is put in the right situation. Yeah, I
2: think he would make a bunch of sense for the simple fact that he he did play all over the defensive line there, and he talked a little bit about his favorite position, yeah. but that versatility goes so far in this league, but also sure. with the Miami Dolphins as well. Carmen, it's a, it's a deep position for us, and you know, only four mm-hmm. draft picks, so that's all I got for you. Senior NFL reporter and managing editor at the Draft Network, at Carmi V on Twitter, Carmen Vitale. Thank you again so much for your time, and, and I hope you feel better. I know you're, you're getting better, but I hope you get even better. <laughs> than where you are right now.
1: Thanks so much, Trav. Good to be here. Hope to see you again soon. And there she
2: goes. Carmen Vitali the draft network, well-represented on this edition of the drive time podcast, giving us the skinny on the defensive tackle and defensive edge position uh, in this upcoming draft class. They cover it as well as anybody. And they gave us all kinds of names to look for on day two and day three, and even into UDFA as well. So that's going to be my time on this edition of the drive time podcast. We're going to have a busy week next week. shows, Every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I believe our draft recaps on Saturday and Sunday. So... Busy, busy week here on the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ and our weekly Twitter Spaces show every Wednesday at 8 o'clock p.m. You can check out the YouTube channel for Dolphins today and all of our media availabilities. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline Daddies coming home.